All right. Hey, we're going to dive into it tonight. You guys ready? We're going to do what uh, we love to do at Banner Hill Church. We're going to start tonight with the reading of God's word. I let the word encounter our hearts, have an encounter with Jesus. And then we're going to end, reset with the response of our fresh encounter. We're going to end with the response in song after we get another fresh encounter with Jesus. If you would, turn to Exodus 16. I just want to walk through a couple things with you before we jump into Luke 24. As you turn there, let me just pray for our time. And if you are moving and looking for this, you're fine. But Jesus, I just want to stop and say thank you for what you are going to do in our hearts tonight. Jesus, thank you for walking with these two men. Thank you that you would invite us to follow you. You would invite us to imitate you. You would invite us to, to put down our expectations. God, I pray for something tonight that you have clearly made known to me that I need more of. And it is trust in you. So I pray that for my heart tonight and I pray that for everyone that can hear your word tonight. We pray this in the Jesus name, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Exodus 16, I want to take you just, I love to do a quick preview of uh, what we've been looking at. We had session one, and if you're taking notes, it was encounters over expectations. Session two, which was this morning, we talked about experiences to exposures. And tonight, if you want to write this down, we're going to be talking about belonging into Believing. Belonging into believing. Exodus 16, I, I love this. By the way, if you want to truly get back to where I believe God has people today with coronavirus, go read Exodus. Because there were people that were enslaved, that were being oppressed. God would free them from their oppression. And then in the journey of new fresh encounters, that was so new to them, they actually told God they would rather go back to their oppressed life. This is wild to me. I, I, I'm hearing people literally say, I can't wait until things get back to what? Normal. Mm -mm -mm. This is what I believe God wants to do in our fresh encounters, but it is going to take trust. They were hungry. They didn't like change. 
And he says to them about the food that he would give them. These are the Lord's instructions. Verse 16, each household should gather as much food as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. Verse 17. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Someone write that down. Just enough. God gives you just enough. God gives you just enough. God will never, ever ever show up early, but he will never be late. See, we just have a trust issue with God. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had what it needed. Verse 19, then Moses told them, do not keep any of this until the morning. But some of them didn't listen. Why? Because if God was going to give them buckets, of food that tastes anything like the carbs that I've been eating this trip. then it is, tough, it is tough to believe God that he'll do it again. You know why we make expectations the next day? Because you don't think that God can encounter you in a fresh way the next day. We don't believe that God can give us more manna the next day. And so we do just as the Israelites have always done. We didn't listen and we kept some into the morning, but I love this. But by then it was full of maggots and had terrible smell. And Moses was angry with him. Can I tell you, listen, I'm not trying to tell you that God's word, if you try to hang on to it till the next day, is maggots. But here's what I'm believing is happening. You try to live tomorrow with the, with the encounter that you had today. And every day you live on without a new fresh encounter you are not the attractive aroma of Jesus that he wants you to be to others. It's not that God becomes maggots. Our life becomes maggots. Our life smells. We need a fresh encounter. If we're going to be the aroma of Jesus, I need the fresh encounter of Jesus. For the sake of the people that he is putting in your life, for the sake of those that are walking away from Jerusalem toward a non-relevant, irrelevant, no-name place that they may try to name, but it doesn't even matter. And someone needs to be the aroma of Jesus. And I just want to take you to the very end, verse 32. So then Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded, fill a two-quart container with manna, to preserve it for your descendants. Verse 33, Moses said to Aaron, get a jar, fill it with two quarts. I just heard from the Lord. I just heard from God. Here's what we need. I, I'm going to keep having fresh encounters. 
And here's what we need to do. We need to put two quarts of manna, put it aside in a sacred place before the Lord so that he can preserve it for future generations. See, your daily fresh encounters now with God will provide daily fresh evidence for God's people in the future. Your fresh encounters now become fresh evidence for others later. God is on my heart, people are on my mind. My fresh encounter with Jesus could be used as fresh evidence for somebody else. Are you fresh evidence of Jesus with people that are around you? I've learned this walking with people. They know whether you're fake or not. You can't fool people that you're leading. People want to follow someone that's having a fresh encounter. Not one from last week that your pastor had. Can I tell you, if we all walk out of here and I'm the only one having a fresh encounter, I mean, I'm in a good place. My heart is aching because I can't be the only one having a fresh encounter with Jesus. I need, I am begging, I am challenging that if you say I am a believer in Jesus, that you would fight to have a fresh encounter, that you would open up the word of God and you would read it. I'm about to say something that's going to make someone mad, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Listen. I, man, I love the Bible version app. I love devotionals. I love commentaries. I love hearing what other people have to say about their fresh encounters with Jesus. But let that be supplementary to your fresh encounter with Jesus. Will you start opening this up and reading this before you read what other, some, what other man says? Please, can you start doing that? I've, I've realized people don't even know how to read this and encounter God's heart because they only know how to eat what someone else is spitting out. Listen, Paul says we got to stop taking from the bottle. I mean, maybe for a little bit we're like the birds, right, and need the mama to spit the food in our mouth. See, I think that's a better illustration. I'll let Paul know that when I get to heaven. Man, I just, I'm begging people. If God says the Holy Spirit's job is to guide, teach, train. In fact, this is one of the, the crazy parts about the Bible. I call it uh, the, the two-sided coin. Uh, I talk about just the fact that sometimes it seems like the Bible is contradicting itself. But it's just the fullness of what it always is. It's, it's, it's more than we are. It's supernatural. And um, the Bible says that he uses us to teach, train, and equip people. But he also says the Holy Spirit's job is to teach, train, and equip people. So whose job is it? 
both. But I feel like we love to live on one side of the coin. And we're missing the fullness of God. We're missing it. We're missing it. We're not truly trusting everything that he is saying. And I'm just going to beg you to read this, to find a way. I, I said this as a student pastor. I said this as I pastored. I still say it today. If you're not asking someone about what you're reading, you're not reading. If you're not asking questions about what you're reading, you're not reading. I still have questions about what I read. I want to. I want to. I want to just make this one um, imagery with you, if you would. I was challenged, by the way, to do this more. I really try to tra challenge people as much as I can. But anybody been skydiving? Man, I love that. I mean, it was like you were ready just to do it now. Um, that was that was really good. That was almost. I thought for sure you were going to stand in your chair. To make sure that was that was awesome. I've never been, but I hope you would agree with this illustration. I was really kind of hoping no one <laughs> skydive. Maybe I should. I mean, just the confidence that you had. I have a feeling this is gonna get critiqued. Okay, I'm gonna do it anyways. Here we go. Okay, here's the imagery. I uh, again I've I've never been, but I've I've had a lot of stories, and most people once they're really fired up until they get to the place where they're going to get in the plane to jump out. They get to, to the place where they're going to jump out. And rightly so, you have to sign all these waivers that more than likely, <laughs> I say more than likely, I think they make but you're probably going to die. And when you do, we're not liable. Did it feel like that at all? Okay, cool. Okay. And... It's like many people said that, that at that point they couldn't do it anymore. And they walked away. I've had friends go, I, I got there and I, I couldn't do it. And then some have signed it and they're putting out all the stuff and they're getting into the plane. And the plane's taking off. And, and just the fight when you're getting up to the elevation to jump out of the plane. And it's the fight, it's the fight, it's the fight. You've seen it in the movies. They're like, you know, trying to put an octopus in a net, right? It's like... Uh, there's this, there's, there's, you're, you're stuck, you don't want to go, you don't, but it's like when you finally get out of the plane and you're just in the air and you are helpless and you're exposed, think about this, at the moment you're the most helpless and the most exposed, you encounter the greatest trust and freedom you've ever felt in your entire life. See, here's what I learned. We want freedom without being helpless. Mm -mm -mm. We want to trust God fully but be in control. We want to we give God everything as long as I can help him do his job. And I'm going to tell you that if you just, I, I've had some videos before, and I just didn't even, but just this idea of the imagery. Imagine 
you're just flying. You're, at this point, all, all of your, your, all you can do is trust the person that's hooked up to you. That's it. Nothing else matters. You are completely helpless, but at the same time experiencing the greatest freedom. I'm going to tell you something we're about to learn. There is a deep, deep seed in you that will fight against you getting to a place of complete helplessness. And this is the deep-rooted sin that we have in us. And so now let's move to Luke 24. We're going to see how Jesus responds to these two knuckleheads. So starting now in verse 25, verse 25. Then Jesus, by the way, you know where we've come so far, right? I mean, he, they just told Jesus all these awesome cool things that they saw and it did not do anything to make them want to go back to jerusalem they were still hurt still confused and still wanted to be in control so this is how jesus responds he said to them you foolish people you find it so hard to believe all of the prophets and what they wrote in scriptures all right, so here's what I love to say to people as I teach this passage. You have to trust me how I teach you what this passage is. If there's anything you don't do, do not do what Jesus did here. Okay, do not walk up to somebody, because this is what you want to do. Because deep inside all of us, we want to Jesus juke people. We like that. It feels good. Let me shame you. We, we go, yep, there it is. He called them foolish. You fool. Look, can, how often is that what's really battling inside of? That's what we want to do. As we walk with people, we're, we're hurt. We're hurt because they're hurt. We're hurt because they're hurting us. We don't like what they're walking. We have identity issues. Maybe I'm speaking to some parents in here whose children are walking in the direction that they shouldn't be walking. And we wear that. You have friends walking in that, and you wear that. I'm wearing it. And what I want to say is, you are a fool. Let me tell you what it means. When Jesus calls them foolish, when Jesus calls them a fool, it is not the way we use the word fool today. We like to use the word fool as you are an airhead. You are empty-headed. You are not wise. You are not thinking. But what's amazing is that this word, when really pulled back and scaled down and looking at the original root, it actually means full of thought. It actually means 
that they had so many of their own thoughts. Won't you listen? They were not making room for the truth. And if you've never seen this in the Bible, let me read to you Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. I'm just going to read it over you. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there was no room for God. Literally, the psalmist just defines pride. He says, let me tell you what pride is. Pride is you're making no room for God in your thoughts. You're making no room for God's way in your life. You're not, get, you're not making any space for Jesus to say, man, like, is that really where you're getting hope? We're not making room. And this is what I, this is what I believe Jesus is letting us know as we walk with people. And I would hope how you have felt when someone has walked with you. You are not up against their past. You're up against their pride. Listen, you're not up against everything that you're up. We're up against pride. Pride is the root of our brokenness. And that's where people are at. And Jesus just exposes for all of us right now. And I want to tell you what I believe the answer is that you've got to pray for as you walk with people. That the answer is not to increase a proof to believe. It is to decrease pride. We Listen, I don't think that people today need more of a proof of Jesus. Jesus has proofed himself. For thousands of years, there's nothing else we need to do. There is enough books, there is enough evidence, there is enough for you to see. There was a moment, if you don't know this, where Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and they kept asking for more miracles and he said no, because another miracle isn't going to make you believe you're prideful. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man dies. And he's like, oh, let me go back and tell my brothers that all this, let me come back from the dead. Because if I come back from the dead and I tell my brothers this is real, they'll believe. And you know what? You know what was said to him from, by Abraham? Nope. I love what he says. If they can't believe what Moses has already written, not even you coming back to life would cause them to believe. Mm. We got to start praying that God would break the hard hearts of our pride. What we need is for us to say, God, like, would you make room in their thoughts? Make room in our thoughts. We are full of every thought that somebody has. When I see people walking away from God... They fill themselves up with everything else everybody believes. But they don't make any space. And I'm just saying, man, if that's you, I'm just asking, would, would you leave space for Jesus? Would 
this is for somebody that's walking with somebody, your job is not to convince them. Your job is to walk with them with the fresh encounters that you have that could be fresh evidence of Jesus for them. But you better pray and get on your knees that God would break some walls of pride in their life and give Jesus some room in their thoughts. Verse 26. Wasn't it clearly predicted? Now, ooh, Jesus is about to make it happen now. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Now he comes at him, he says, hey, I've been making this clear since the day you've been following me. You're choosing not to listen. But here's what I love that Jesus does here. Right, we already know the very beginning it says that these two were followers of Jesus. They heard a lot of things that Jesus has said. Someone needs to hear this. And it breaks my heart because I've been here before. Jesus had been walking, and I know that he knew that these men were listening, and now they're walking away. And Jesus walked with them. He said, clear, he, right? Wasn't it clearly predicted? Don't you know? Haven't you heard me say it? Haven't you heard the prophets teach it? It was clearly stated. It's clearly there. You've read it. You've heard it. But even though that happened, he did not get tired of clearly presenting the gospel to them. I don't know what it is in us that is writing off people because we say one time I clearly presented the gospel to them. I told them once, it's on them now. It's not. Jesus wants to have a fresh encounter with you so you can have some fresh evidence for them. I think the reason that we stop telling people about Jesus is because we stop having fresh encounters with Jesus. I can't stop talking about my fresh encounters. You're hearing about them all the time. I can't control when I talk about that. And I, I don't know, I don't think I can get tired of clearly showing Jesus in the scriptures. But listen, you have to know when it's time to do that with the people that you're walking with. Do you understand that at this point, we just read this in verse 26 and we started in verse 13 and he hadn't said anything about himself yet? He walked, he asked questions. He did what I call, you ready? He built relationship equity. It, I'm not even gonna ask you. One day you're gonna buy a house. One day you're gonna get some property. And when you get property, one of the greatest things you want to get out of it is equity. Equity is good. But here's what you need to know about equity. The best equity you get comes out of the most questions you ask. Now, they're not promised. But I was a first-time home buyer, and I didn't ask many questions. I was just excited that the Lord gave me a house. For $97,000. Thank you, Jesus. You say that in Massachusetts, and they will tell you, you can't buy a garage for $97,000.
I didn't even ask questions because I was like, hey, this is what I can even afford right now. And it was good, I'm not saying, but I didn't build equity in that house. I was glad I didn't lose money when I sold it. I've learned since then, the better equity I've gotten out of property that I bought and sold came out of how many questions did I ask? What kind of neighborhood is this? What's the, what, what's the retail? I mean, where's the value? Who's, who's living here? Are there lots of families? Are there good schools around? Are there families in the neighborhood, right? We ask all these questions and it helps us know that once we buy and sell, we're gonna get some kind of equity. Here's why I say this, because relationships are the same way. You are not buying enough relationship equity for you to speak about Jesus until you ask them enough questions about their stories where you just know and they know you love them no matter what. See, we wanna jump to Jesus before we ask questions. And I'm gonna tell you, you didn't earn equity. We need to sit with people. We need to build equity. You need to ask questions and questions and questions and listen and listen and hear and know that you're not up against their past, you're up against their pride. And that's a Jesus thing. That's what God does. That's his work, your work is to build equity. Your work is to love them. Your work is to get a fresh encounter. Your work is to show them your fresh encounter and maybe one day with some fresh evidence. But you can't get tired of proclaiming the fullness of Jesus just because they've heard it before. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't stop pursuing me. My wife, my wife asked me just a while ago, how's it going? And I said, man, I really feel like God's doing some work. And she said, in you? <laughs> and I go, yes. I'm getting wrecked. I don't even care what's happening to anybody else. I mean, I do, don't get me wrong, but. Listen, I'm excited that Jesus would do this for us. You will never do it for others till you stop and remember that Jesus is doing it with you. He's walking with you, he's loving you, and he'll never get tired of making it clear for you. It's your choice whether or not you want to leave space for the truth that he has. 27, then Jesus took him through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Verse 27, then Jesus took him through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Then Jesus took him through, then, then Jesus, what's, ha, what's Jesus done thus far? Jesus showed up with them. He didn't tell them they were walking in the wrong direction. He just said, hey, what's going on? What's going on with your life? Why do you think that? Man, let's keep walking. Man, hey, gosh, there's some pride here. He's identifying to us, man, there's, there's some things. And I believe in this journey, there's some relationship equity being built. And he knew it was time. He knew it was time. Can I tell you, if you haven't heard from the Holy Spirit that it's time 
to start talking about Jesus, then don't start talking about Jesus. You need to hear from the Holy Spirit that it's time. And it's time. Jesus says, it's time. I'm going to take him back through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. And you go, well, haven't they already heard that? Yep, and Jesus isn't tired to open this back up and start explaining the scriptures. Man, if you're frustrated and tired of showing people about Jesus, there's something wrong. Explain all the scriptures. All people have to keep hearing all things about Jesus. I love Romans 10, 17. It just, just the reminder, he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through, through the word about Christ. We have to keep letting people hear. We got to keep letting people hear. We got to keep letting people hear. You can't get tired. You can't stop encountering Jesus. Your friend, your family, the person that's sitting at the front, at the footsteps of your gate, right? The, the rich man never realized Lazarus was sitting there. There's people sitting at the front steps of your gate that you won't see unless you encounter Jesus. Some of you guys are looking for people to lead and God's put them right in front of you in your classroom, in the coffee shop. In your apartment complex, they're just there. They're sitting there. See, too many of us are trying to walk with people that don't want to walk with you because you have a pride issue. You have a pride issue. You have an identity issue. You have to lead some, You have to lead this person to Jesus or somehow you're a failure. I would say, how about you lead someone to Jesus that he's put on the front steps of your gate? That you're passing by. couple things about explaining the gospel just real quick that I just want to make sure I'm, uh, I share. Don't forget that your daily life reveals Jesus to people. I hear people all the time, they want to, they want to share the gospel of Jesus, but their life hasn't done anything that backs up what they just said. So I'm just, we got to remember, these fresh encounters are, are, are important. I have to keep my joy, my generosity, my priorities, my patience, my trust, my perseverance. All that is going to help the gospel get painted. If you don't know how to share the gospel in three minutes, you need to learn how to do that. Ask, ask your pastors. They'll help you do that. You need to know how to share the gospel in an effective manner. We train people in the three circles. Is that something that you guys have talked about before? Like you need to know how to do that. Because when it's time to talk about hurt and talk about Jesus and talk about repentance and talk about sin, when it's time to talk about that, you need to be trained in how to do that. Verse 28, and I'm going to get, we're just going to, we're not, we're not, we're not done, but I, we're getting to like, all that just leads up to what's about to happen. It's the greatest part of the story. It says, by the time, verse 28, they were nearing Emmaus. What's Emmaus? An irrelevant place. <laughs> a 
by the time they were nearing, you're saying, well, I thought if it's irrelevant, how are they nearing it? Listen, I don't think people that are broken even know where they're going, but they know when they're getting close. And I believe they know when they're getting close because something is happening in them that's making them say, it's time to stop. Something inside of them is saying, there's no need to walk any further. And maybe that's someone here tonight. They're nearing Emmaus. They're coming to the end of their journey. And maybe the end of the journey is going to be, I just, I'm never going to, I'm never going to open my mind up for Jesus again. Or maybe the end of the journey is going, it's the end of the journey because I finally want to open up some space for Jesus. And you got to see what Jesus does here. They get to the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. <laughs> so this is, can we put this real quick? All right, guys. And it's, it's been real. It's been, it's been good. Here, here's why I love this. I think Jesus shows us here that you don't trust that it's God's job to convert people. You think it's yours. We're not willing to walk away and let Jesus do his work. We're not. In fact, you don't want to walk away. In fact, you're sad. You feel like you lost if you have to walk away. And I love that Jesus is just like, all right, I've done my work. What was his work? To walk with him. Realized that they had some pride to try to go back and show them some things about Jesus, to make the, the, the scriptures clear, to live in a way that's encountering Jesus and giving fresh encounter. Like I did my job, now I'm going, verse 29, verse 29, ready? But they begged him, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. They begged him to stay. Can I tell you that here's how you know if you're walking with somebody well. That when they get to that place at the end of their journey, they're begging you to stay in their life. Mm -hmm. See, I don't think that we can walk with people long enough for them to beg you to stay when they get to where they're going. I think, in fact, most people that are broken and hurt in this world have walked to the destination where they're tired of walking and they look around and there's no one that's being the hands and feet of Jesus that have walked with them and just said, I'm here. They said, will you stay with us? Man, it's late. It's, it's late, but, but we need, I want you to stay. There's something about you that I, I, look, in fact, I believe when someone realizes that when you're walking with them and they can't even do life without you being in their life, I believe they might actually stop walking where they're walking. That might be the end of their journey. Because they finally feel somebody knows me, somebody loves me, somebody's been on a journey with me, and not even my family has done that. Not even people that say they love me have done that. I've seen people, I, look, 
I believe that what happened is Jesus earned trust with the people that he was walking with. And remember, just like we talked about in night one, seven miles means to completion. I'm wondering if we're willing, because of our helplessness, trust, and freedom in Jesus, with our fresh encounters, with us exposing our own hurts, with us seeing Jesus keep rocking me, that I would be able to walk with somebody until the day of completion. But here's what's great. Ooh, this has been revolutionary for me. He says, Brian, you know why you won't walk with people to the day of completion? Because you like to talk about their pride, but you won't walk with them because, you, because of your pride. Jesus has to deal with your pride before he deals with their pride. Listen, this is how God always, God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. As you journey with somebody, he's working in you. He's working in your pride so that he can break through their pride. He wants to, he chose to use you. He chose to use you as a, as a church planter, as the multiplication. He is choosing you to work through you to them. Every day that you don't let Jesus work through your pride, it could be a day you effectively stop him working in the pride of somebody around you. He wants to use you. They begged him to stay. I'm going to tell you, Vic, they begged him. They begged him. I'm going to tell you something, church. I believe something supernatural will happen if people that are not yet believing are begging people that are believing to stay in their life. In fact, I'm going to say this. If that doesn't happen, then we are not being the fishers of men that he is calling us to be. You are being fishers of you. How many people that are not yet believing has looked at you and say, and said, thank you for being in my life. Because this is what happens. I believe the whole heart. Verse 30 and 31. As soon as they sat down to eat, he took the bread that they had. They, they were going to eat. Hey, being invited into somebody's home, by the way, being invited into somebody's life, having that intimate moment, it does something. So they sat down to eat. So they sat down to eat. I believe they were at this table. And look, I know you're going, what is, I, this isn't physical. I'm talking emotional. 
I'm talking that I don't care where they're walking, they're going to get to a place where they're going, I'm done traveling. I'm sitting at this table. I don't even know what to call it, but I'm done running. I'm done walking. But you're still here, and I really like it. We're going to have this table. And they sat down. He took the bread, and he blessed it. Then he broke it, and he gave it to them. Verse 31. And suddenly their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. 31. And suddenly their eyes were open. See, here's, here's what I believe has to happen. The people that are hurting and walking away from the church, they're walking away from the community of God and the community of people. When they are walking away, they have picked an irrelevant destination and there's this table, there's this place that they finally get to because they're tired. And when they get there, I call this their table of brokenness. Now listen to me, I believe everybody has a table of brokenness. I believe everybody will get to a point where they go, I'm done. I'm done. Can you imagine? This is why we practiced imagery earlier. Can you imagine that God's people are being invited to sit at people's tables of brokenness. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you will walk with people to their table of brokenness, I believe that suddenly their eyes will open and they will not see you sitting here. They will see Jesus for the very first time. If you were sitting at someone's table of brokenness, you look more like Jesus breaking into a broken world than you ever have in your entire life. Why won't you walk there with me? Why won't you go there with me? Why can't God's people be sitting at the table of people's brokenness? Why can't we be available for the entire journey? What is wrong with us where we can't walk with people. We think our job is just to tell them they're wrong. Our job is just to shame them. Our job is just to tell them to go back. No, they don't need to go back. They need to see the fullness of Jesus. And let me tell you what the fullness of Jesus looks like. When they are at their worst place ever, you're there. God's people are there, standing with them, not to shame them. To love them and show them the greatest posture of Jesus. The goal is not that people will belong. The goal is people that the, the, the goal is that people will believe. I think that we, I think that we as a church, I'm, I'm calling out all American churches right now. I believe right now we're more concerned about how many people belong to our family, not how many people believe in our family. Jesus wanted people to believe, so he was going to walk with them to the nastiest, worst, smelliest place of their life. That's why he was born in the nastiest 
un, like, fathom place that anybody thought the king, the savior of the world would be born. He did that. He wants to enter that place of your life. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not a believer in here, I'm, first of all, I'm glad that you would be in here. I'm glad that you would at least open up a part of your thought to give Jesus a chance. And I want to apologize on behalf of all believers that can't build enough trust with you. Or that maybe you felt have hurt you or left you or condemned you or shamed you. I'm sorry. And they're not being Jesus. But we are as sinful as you are. We are as prideful. I'm as prideful. I have issues. Greatest place that we can be is invited to someone's table of brokenness. And I just want to ask, what would you do? How, how many miles would you walk with them? How far would you go? How many years? Verse 32. Mm, this, is, this is the best two. These, these are the best two. Vic, right here. You ready? Okay. They said to each other when they realized, they, they went, this is Jesus. We just saw Jesus. We just, we were at our worst. And we saw Jesus. He had to break every expectation that they had. And they saw Jesus. It happened. And this is what they said. Didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked um, within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, I love this. They never told Jesus he was making an impact in his life until he went all the way to their table of brokenness and they saw him. Will you stop walking away because the people you're walking with aren't telling you that you're making an impact in their life? See, some of you guys are walking away because you don't think you're doing anything. Because you need man to give you approval. You don't need man to tell you that you should do it because Jesus showed us to do it. It doesn't matter if they're telling you the impact that you're making. In their life. Didn't our hearts burn? They looked at each other. Man, our hearts, your heart was burning. My, I believe that the reason you get invited into someone's table of brokenness is because they are, are, are going, man, on that entire journey, there was something about what you did with, with, with me that was just burning my heart. Have you heard this before? Has this happened to you before? Like someone's walking and you go, I don't know what it was, but dude, I, some, something was happening. You got to trust as you walk that supernaturally the Holy Spirit is going to break into their heart. I just wrote this. You may never hear the impact you are making until you see the impact you have made. You may never hear it. And I'm going to tell you, some of you won't see it till the day that we all go to heaven and you go, They gave their life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I believe this can be a sweet moment for many people. God's word tells us that whether you plant the seed or you get to harvest, it's the same reward in heaven. 
Think about that. Whether you plant or whether you harvest. See, the reason why you think you should harvest is because we have pride issues. We have identity issues. We have issues if we're going to tell God what we expect he should do on our journey. You may never hear the impact until you see the impact you have made. Now, verse 33, 34. Here's it. Here it is. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. I'm going I'm to read that again. And within the hour. Someone circle that. And within. Now, what time is it? We don't know what time it was. It said it was late. It was late. I'll tell you, they had no plans of going back to Jerusalem. There was nothing in them that had a plan to go back. But when they experienced Jesus, when they got exposed when they had a fresh encounter, within an hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it the way we've been teaching. And within the hour, they were on their way back to the church. There, they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who had said, the Lord has really Risen. See, let me tell you who they went back to. When they encountered Jesus, they went back to people that had the same mindset as what they just realized. When they found Jesus, when they saw that he was risen and he was alive, they went right back to the people who believed what they believed. Can I tell you something? If you would just start having fresh encounters with Jesus and walk with them where they're going, there'll be a day where they have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Can I tell you something? You won't have to drag them to church. See, your pride's getting in your way because someone won't accept an invitation for you to go to church. You, you think something's wrong with you because your friends won't come to church. When has church become the win? When has belonging become the win? Church, I got a question. When has that been good enough? You feel good because you think it's the job of the person up here communicating to convert your friend to Jesus? No, it's God's job to convert. It's your job to walk. It's your job to be faithful. It's your job to have a fresh encounter. It's your job to show them what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It is only God's job to convert. And yes, can the church be a great place where they hear clearly the gospel? Yes. Have people been saved at the church? Yes. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that we're in a place in the world today that we've got to take Luke 24 serious. I believe that we have made the church the product and we've made Jesus the byproduct. And I'm going to tell you what I see in Luke 24 is that Jesus made Jesus the product and the church was the byproduct of Jesus. Can I ask you, is the church the product or the byproduct? You read it in here, here's the answer. The church is the byproduct of Jesus being the product of your life. We've got to see people belong to believe. It is not, we tell people all the time at our church, 
we are, we, you can belong here before you believe. But I'm going to tell you, I look at people's eyes and I say, you can belong here before you believe. But my heart and my desperation for you is that you believe. And we will walk with you all the way until we see that happen. I pray it over people. If you come here, you will believe. I'm saying it in the name of Jesus. We're going to be Jesus. We're going to walk with you. We're going to have fresh encounters. We are going to let our minds be reset so that Jesus can take his rightful seat on the mercy seat of the head of the table. Will you trust God? Will you follow people to the roads of brokenness? Church, can we make Jesus the product? Man, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I go to these churches. I'm, I'm looking at both of you guys as churches, man. It's easy as a church planter to get overwhelmed because I go, man, if, I, if this is it, listen, we're church planters. We're church planters. Sometimes we don't have buildings. Sometimes we don't get great bands, we don't have great lights. But there are people broken and hurt. That need us to have a fresh encounter with Jesus. And walk with him. And I believe it's the, it's the buildings, it's the places that God has built that God's people will just flood in and flood in and flood in. Why? I mean, I believe we're going to have to build buildings upon buildings. I believe it's not going to stop. Why? Because people have encountered Jesus. People have encountered Jesus. They went from experiences to exposures. Their life has been exposed. They went from belonging to believing. They had encounters over expectations. They have been reset and transformed. And they realized it wasn't a destination problem. It was an expectation problem. Jesus, thank you for your church. But thank you for the reason of the church. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we want to honor you with how we walk with people the other six days of the week. God, I repent and I am sorry for making the church the groom and Jesus making you the bride. God, I'm sorry. Jesus, you're the groom. We're the bride. You're what people need. Let us battle tonight in song. Let us battle. Let us fight. Let us believe, let us encounter.
let us expose. Let it be.